Welcome to the Natural Underground, the radio show and podcast dedicated to the natural food industry. I'm your host, Al Springer. Joining me in the studio today, a dynamic duo of, what are you guys? Energy today. I know-it-all. Energy. Yeah. You guys are premium, high-value, high-priced know-it-alls. That's that is actually really true. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Look, we have an amazing show today. Uh, they say three's a crowd. No, sir, not today. We have three interesting guests. Have we ever had three people no. on this, this lame show? No. Mm-mm. No, but it's good because now it kind of cancels out. We're so negative. They're so positive. It's like yeah. a net and There's of three zero. of us, and that's never worked, so I'm not very positive about that. <laughs> true. But six is, you Well, know, three's total. like, that's yeah. darn near crowded. I mean, this is a crowded studio, although two of them are calling in, so I don't know what my point is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how big is the other person? <laughs> I think I'm already dreaming of the weekend, the rest of the weekend. <laughs> All right. Our first guest after the break will be the founder of Prot's Protein Chips. Say that three times fast. Protes protein chips. If you guys are protein seekers and you're looking for other ways to snack, this is it. These are good. I'm nervous because every time I think about this brand, I want to say it with a Scottish accent. A prots. Eat your prots. Eat your prots. I think chips. that's a good idea for them. Like a guy in a kilt being like, eat your prots. Oh, and kind of yelling yeah. at you. Yeah. Because it's sort of fitness. You yeah. know, I What's like What's wrong that. with you? Eat your prots. Yeah. <laughs> Don't snack on those regular chips. <laughs> you just went all around the Europe uh, in that confusing. accent. I did some Eastern European. <laughs> I might have dropped some a little visit to Do Spain not in eat there. your prots. <laughs> <laughs> Later in the show, we're going to visit with James Moss, a very creative industry in Insider. He's worked on a number of brands, built a number of brands, and we're going to ask him all kinds of things about the, speaking of protes, the evolution of snacking. Mm-hmm. Meaning we snack differently in the, in America than we used to. And yes. We're going to go through that whole thing in our third segment. What's interesting to watch is, you know, over the years, it's gone from sort of tasty to convenient to low-cal, low-carb. Low-fat. Low-fat. We got into portion control. But the idea being, you know, are we, are we actually getting over the hump where we're snacking with purpose now, where there's more functional snacking. You know, instead of eating less of something, hey, we took more of this out. What if the good things are already in there mm-hmm. and you kind of snacked with purpose? So we're going to get into all that, talk about how we snack and what uh, today's consumers are looking for mm-hmm. and see how that kind of relates uh, to all of us. So it should be good. I love snacking. Yeah. Finally, we invited a gra- finally we invited a graphic <laughs> designer to join us in the studio. He'll be here in the final and fourth segment. If you've ever had questions or curiosities mm-hmm. about uh, package design, branding 101, we're going to do it all. We're going to visit with Wes Woodell, and Wes is a, an exceptional designer. He's worked on some great brands in the natural and better for you food and beverage space. So we're going to have him, and that'll be good. Very exciting. Yeah. All right, it's that time on the show where we feature, we dig in to one specific product we think is cool. What do we call it, Jesslyn? Pie hole. Pie hole. Time's wasting, don't you know? Put something tasty in my old pie hole. How do you not love that? Oh, well, look, you've already stole <laughs> I already it. Stole I already right? looking for our window. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we were walking the store as we always do. We walk the store. It's where we, we live. We do. Sleep we, in the store. In fact, you can't yeah. shop with, I, I, I know most people in our industry the same way. They're really you can't an, go shop with yeah. us. Yeah, no. I'm like, oh, this person's nice. Look at this packaging. Yeah, this no, tastes the, good. No way. Because I'll just be gone. Like I, We walk in the front door and my wife will actually look for things we need and I'll <laughs> just wander around 
You like sniffing at, coffee. I'm a coffee sniffer I and a candle cool. sniffer. I don't mean to out you on the air, but wow, <laughs> you do. <laughs> That's you a really bold statement. Oh, you like, mean on the coffee sniffing? Yeah. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, Everyone I has sniff their coffee. Own thing. No, I, and my thing is, I go down the coffee aisle. But you don't drink. coffee. I was about to say you don't actually like coffee that much. I love coffee, which makes me go to the bathroom. Like, Whoa. uncontrollably quick. <laughs> uncontrollably. uncontrollably fast. Also, you sort of run hot. I do. So you I don't, don't need any need extra, any extra no, help. You're, you're exactly right. But I do love the smell of like a fresh cup of coffee. But if they have those little ventilation holes in the packaging. For creeps like you. Oh, my God. I just <laughs> sit there and they do. People look at me like, what is wrong with that guy? Why is he doing that? <laughs> but I love. Uh, so I, you're I'm sniffing a, coffee. I'm a, I'm a coffee and... sniffer. Anyway, Koya. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? So we walked painting down, the picture. Yes. So we were walking down the refrigerated aisle and spotted Koya. It's plant-based nutrition. Mm-hmm. So it is a blend. The, the protein source here is a blend of pea protein, brown rice protein, hemp protein. Ooh. On, and this particular one that on we have trend. on trend <laughs> is cacao bean. Uh, and it says made with almond milk, plant proteins, cacao, vanilla, and cinnamon. So check this out. This is the part that I like. Cool bottle, right? Great packaging. Yeah, it looks oh, really, yeah. really looks pretty. looks kind of inviting, right? They're from Southern California, from Los Angeles. But you look at it and you say, okay, let's let's kind of check out the, because if you're people that are looking for protein or looking for protein, there's 19 grams of protein. It's not a huge bottle in this small bottle. Yeah. But here's the thing, only four grams of sugar. Wow. So what are they sweetened with? It looks like it's a evaporated cane sugar and monk fruit extract. That's always good. Yeah. Monk fruit. So good. So that's a that's an amazing nutritional profile to get you that much protein this small a bottle. So of course the. The question Ooh. of the day is, it says shake <laughs> really it like you mean up. it, I think, on here. It said something like that. I hope that's not just me imagining that it said, oh, it's got a seal within the lid, so I should have taken that's that off. That's how you know that it's Who's really got sharp, clean. you got sharp nails. What, uh, me? Yeah, okay, I'm on. hoping you do. we got cups for everybody. We're going to try this. But okay, if you're it. looking for it, I believe they're pretty close to national, nationally authorized at Whole Foods Market across the country. And now we're going to sample this. We're all this. pouring it in our own glasses, so we're very oh, yeah. clean. Yes, it's very legit. Very mm-hmm. legit. Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm not waiting for Ryan, you, you people. With the bottle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's bottle. straight from the bottle. All right, here we go. It tastes like chocolate milk. It does, but like... Like a thicker, chocolatier version. I like how thick it is. And it's, and it's truly chocolatey. And, and it does have no, a little nutty. But there's nut. no weird... You know, protein. You know, protein sometimes has to be masked a little bit. It's not there, is it? Yeah, and I'm surprised oh, yeah, this is nice. that... Yeah, the and it you know sometimes when you mix your own protein it kind of maybe it's chunky or something but it's I mean you can't it's not gritty or anything. No, like there's that. no. It's really smooth. It's really wow. good. I'm Definitely telling a smooth you. texture with almond undertones. <laughs> Thank you, wine connoisseur. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, it's really good. So wow. if we want to know, grab the side of the bottle there. What's the website while we're looking? And then uh, we'll tell folks how to drinkkoya.com and Koya is spelled K O I A. I guess that's important. One really more time. Is on, yummy. One more time. K O I A. Yeah. So try that product. We think it's delicious. I think you will too. And that is a true discovery. It is. Yeah. All right. It's uh, time for a break. When we come back, just to give you guys a little preview, we're gonna you're gonna enjoy this. So speaking of characters, this and protein, the founder uh, of of Prot's protein chips is one intense, wild, interesting cat. We all love him. His name. I is, don't like him. You don't like him. To be he doesn't like you either. No, I don't. <laughs> but his name is Creek 
and I can't pronounce his last name. We're going to have to ask him how to do that. Yeah. We've known him for a long time. Yeah. I have no idea how to pronounce his last name <laughs> based on the spelling. But uh, we're going to meet him when we come back. You're listening to The Natural Underground. I can close my eyes and be in Big Ben. I'm sitting next to you. I'm watching the moon catching fire. Young, young. Welcome back to the Natural Underground. Look, if you're a new listener to this show, this is our favorite part of the uh, program. Absolutely the best part. We interview real-life entrepreneurs, brand builders, folks actually out doing it, right? Lots of folks talk about a big idea, about starting a business, maybe a food company. This next guy, this guy, the next guy is really doing it. On today's show, we have the founder of Proats protein chips. Like, really, they're more like tortilla chips, would you say, uh, Ryan? Kind of like uh, tortilla chips. I think they're corn chips. Yeah, oh, yes, but they're, they're spectacular. Are. Let's welcome Creek and Jackie in to the Natural Underground. Thanks, Al. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on. So what gave you the inspiration to create a protein snack brand? Were you a protein seeker yourself and needed to develop a product? What happened? Yeah, I was. I mean, this is going back about 10 years. I was... Um, coming out of the gym, eating a protein bar, sitting on my couch just back in college, and um, saying how sick I was of protein bars and protein shakes. And I was like, I wish I had snacks. I wish I had chips. And the idea kind of started there. I didn't do anything with it for another six years, seven years. But uh, that was the initial thought around a protein chip. I'm sick of bars, and I'm sick of shakes. I would like something different. So you were looking for a different delivery form, and you want to be able to snack. Exactly. In, in snacking. Yeah. So how much protein is, is, is in a serving of Proats? Proats have 15 grams of protein in a single bag, in a single serving. Uh, we have big bags as well, four-ounce bags that have four servings, so 60 grams. And, um, I mean, I, I've sat around drinking a beer, had a big bag of Proats, and I'm like, this is healthy. Yeah, well, we, we're going to talk about it. We actually have a part of our show coming up where we talk about the evolution of snacking and how people now are actually eating things that are good for them when they're snacking, not just trying to make you know eat less of something. So what's the source yeah. of the protein? Uh, we use pea protein isolate. Uh, we want to stay away from soy. Whey protein, we realized um, it, you really couldn't make it crunchy and taste good. And we, we want to stay away from soy because the... the hormonal effects of it and pea yep. protein arguably is the is the, the best um vegan protein on the market some say hemp it's uh questioned and debated highly but um we stuck with pea protein we got the taste to be good and we're very happy with the product we have today uh, they're really satisfying i mean really delicious they behave like chips because they are chips how did you pick the flavors um we started off with standard pretty flavors of like barbecue and chili lime um then we had a consultant tell us we needed a, a salted flavor, a, a plain flavor, which is typically your top-selling skew. But we realized that pea protein naturally has an earthiness to it, so we needed to actually flavor the product to actually get it to taste better. Um, so we jumped away from that. Then we went to a nacho, which was a vegan nacho. We used um, nutritional yeast to give you that cheesiness, which is really nice. Um, tastes like a Dorito. It's phenomenal. And then I have one flavor that we launched pretty recently that has just been fantastic and it's just because it's so unique and it's a toasted coconut it's sweet we're the first company to ever, we're the first company to ever season a chip in coconut 
and, but it's sweet. It, it's almost like a decadent and yet still satisfying. Yep. Still, feel, you know, but hey, again, it's a chip, but it has that little sweet note. My favorite is the barbecue, man. That is Same. exceptional. They're phenomenal. So where do you find yep. Proats in the store? Do you have it with the like salty snacks or do you put it with the protein bars? Where did you decide to house the product? It's, it's really interesting right now. We, we're, we started this company. We really went after sports nutrition. Um, that's kind of my thing. I'm a fitness guy. I'm a health guy. And I always wanted to go to the vitamin shops, um, all the smoothie kings in the country, and NutriZone through the shops and whatnot. Then we went in the grocery. We really positioned into natural snacking because that's kind of where everyone told us that's where you need to be. It's a natural snack. It's non-GMO certified. It's vegan. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. That should be its home. But we struggled in that set, and we realized that we have to go back to our roots, and we worked with the touch agency on this, and they helped us really format that, that story that this is a sports nutrition product. It's replacing protein bars. Our consumer is walking down that aisle. So when you go in the grocery store, our line is actually now placed akin closer to the bars and sports nutrition sets more so than the natural snacking set. That makes sense. You know, you referenced the yeah. touch agency. Geniuses, Creek. Absolute geniuses. I've heard great things. Yeah. We love them. I mean, they're okay. so moving away from the product and talking more about you the entrepreneur we like to ask every guest we have where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you were a tiny child a tiny tot huh um (laughs) knowing knowing creek i'm not so sure he can describe what he actually wanted to be but give us a cleaned up version Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm born and bred uh, New Yorker from Long Island originally. I'm Armenian, first generation in this country, and uh, quite honestly, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to be. I just knew that I needed to do something big, and, and I, I think that has to do something being the oldest son and being first generation. Where I said my father came to this country with twenty dollars in his pocket, couldn't afford clothing or anything, and he put four kids through college and lived a relatively comfortable lifestyle. And I always said to myself, I need to do above and beyond because I've been giving everything. And that, that kind of was always my thing. And to this day, that's, I mean, Al and Ryan, they know me pretty well. Like, I'm, I'm nonstop. And that, that, that's kind of what drives me. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely are, man. But that's how things get done. So you have those shoes to fill and then you go to your family. How did you tell them I'm going to create a chip? How did that go over? Uh- um, quite honestly, not great initially. Um, right. So when I, I was an, I used to be an investment banker. Before this, I was covering food in the, food and agriculture, and I was specializing in mergers and acquisitions. So I reached the, the zenith of white capitalist America, and <laughs> living in Manhattan, making a lot of money as a young kid, and um, but I absolutely hated it. And when I, but I did fall in love with the food industry, and I cut, the idea kind of came back. And when I said I was told my parents I was doing this thing and I was leaving it. Um, I wouldn't say they were not supportive. They just um, were very questioning and uh, had a little bit of a riff for a little bit. But it's kind of come around. We're back on good terms and everything. It's okay. The company's doing fantastic. Um, well, they got to be proud. Was, they got to be they, they got to be proud now. Did they go out and find your product yeah. for you and, and tell you that they bought yeah. it in some particular store? Of course, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they go to like their whatever it is in town. They're like, oh, your, your ships are here. We saw them. Like, we see them like there. I'm like, yeah. The taxi pictures, I'm like, yeah, we did deal with them. It's pretty cool. Um, or, like, I'll get texts like, oh, we're, you're in Spotify, you're in those offices, you're in Twitter's offices. I'm like, yeah, we sold them there now, too. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're proud of me now, and they're really happy, and they've been they've been fantastic. But, again, for me, it's always just having that chip on my shoulder, always being like, I've been giving chip everything, on your and shoulder. I, I need to make sure. Nice. Yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. Nicely done. Mm. Exactly. So, <laughs> so Creek, what's, well, hold, what's, hold on. If his parents, I'm more impressed that your parents 
know what's happening over at Spotify. <laughs> That's kind of cool in its yeah, own right. It is. Right. It is interesting. Well, uh, well, well yeah, well, if someone tags us or whatnot on Facebook or Instagram or what, what have you, um, we're pretty uh, vocal and lively social media, so it, it, you'll pop up all the time. You, you type in hashtag Protes, there's six, 7,000 posts. Oh, I get it all the time. I have Spotify on my phone, and I see. Well, I will see a little uh, banner for uh, Protes. So, pretty so, cool. Yeah. Creek, what's, your, what's been your hardest day on the job this far? Hardest day? I Other mean, than this. We had a, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had some real trials and tribulations um, when we were making it by hand, um, going door-to-door, selling it. Um, our co-packer going bankrupt about two years ago. Um, an ongoing lawsuit with the publicly traded, a $2 billion food conglomerate coming after us. So besides avoiding legal battles with billion-dollar companies, do you have any other lessons for entrepreneurs? Like if, um, if you could go back, uh, Creek, yeah. if you could go back and whisper in your own ear in a non-creepy way, uh, what would the <laughs> advice, what would be your advice that you know now that you wish you knew then? Um, so I'm a mentor to a lot of different companies, including my own uh, my own investors, some of their portfolio company. I'm a, I'm a mentor. And I tell everyone the same thing, whether it's me, whether it's another consultant, whether it's um, the founder, Micropolia, Vitamore, it doesn't matter. Listen to everyone, but don't necessarily take their advice. Make your own decision. You had your own goals and had your own vision for this company and kind of stick to what your thoughts were with while still listening to everyone and kind of soaking in and then make an educated decision from there. I love it. Nobody can tell you exactly what to do, what is the right move, because there is no exactly the right move. Man, that's so good. Because every situation that you're in, every marketplace you're in, or to your point, whatever vision you may have had, we have people who build brands solely so they can pass it off to their family members. We have other people who are on a three-year, you know, I'm going to build this thing and sell it timetable. If I could do it faster, I will. And so to your point, you got to kind of filter all that advice based on where you're at and how it might apply. Love it. Yeah. So Creek, you I mean, for, 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 for us, a, a perfect example is like we went into Natural Channel and we went to Unified Distribution with them. We didn't have the points of distribution or we were getting in place in the natural set. And we, there was a good friend of mine who's still a good friend of mine. He's the head of sales of a big company, um, been in the food industry for 20, 30 years. And um, his advice was just plain wrong. And that's, no fault of his own. It's just more of just we should have looked at it and we said, Do you want, we were trying to replace protein bars. We are trying to think about why we started this company. It was for this consumer that was trying a different deliverable than protein bars. Where are they shopping? They're shopping in the protein bar set. So, um, yeah, I want to, you, know, you, can't, you can't listen to everybody. I want to reiterate to just for our listeners what's, what's Creek has done that's so interesting on Protes is instead of just coming out and, and coming out with another snack and putting it in the chip aisle where the protein seeker does not go normally right they've kind of they view that as all very carby so he's starting to put uh going at really going after that protein seeker by putting the product in places that they're buying protein so it's just a genius move and i think you know retailers are getting really excited about it so it's been fun to watch final question ryan yeah just another side yeah controlling your own destiny in the store it's been great to watch pros do that uh but you have beautiful packaging how did you tackle how to communicate what your product is easily and effectively? That Protes is more than a chip. So we, um, right off the bat, I had a good friend um, who actually does a lot of design work for a lot of huge companies doing that private label. Um, we're fortunate in that we're in New York where there's, if you walk down the street, every fifth person you walk by is probably a designer. Um, and she did a great job with this packaging, really helped us out to find 
how to really present the line. She gave us about 10 different options. The one thing directive I did tell her was we're approaching companies. So that's number one thing emphasized. And two, we want something black. It's just something we, we think is sleek and cool, and that's what we want to be. And um, we're on our third iteration of packaging now. And um, every time we do a packaging change, a little part of you is like, oh, I really like that part, but we have to do this. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's about conveying the biggest message, which is the protein, and then from there you have your secondary messages, which is non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, soy-free, all that good stuff, low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat. Um, but really define who you are and what you want to convey first and then kind of work your way down from there. I love it. Look, if folks want to know more about Prot's protein chips, where do they go? What's your website? Yep, you go to www.eatprotes.com. You can go to Instagram, it's at eatprotes, Twitter, at eatprotes, Facebook, slash protes. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, follow us on all those good social media stuff and uh, hashtag eatprotes. It's all good stuff. We'll do it, man. We're so glad you could be on the show. We're excited. Uh, I would have asked our listeners, man, go out and try this stuff. You're going to be happy and you're going to feel good about what you're eating. Thanks, Creek, for being on The Natural Underground. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Okay. When we come back, we're going to delve a little deeper into the world of healthy snacking and kind of how that has evolved over the years for the American consumer. Hopefully, that's interesting to you. We'll be back with James Moss on The Natural Underground. Welcome back to the Natural Underground. Look, after chatting with Creek from Proats, and those are pretty tasty, aren't they? We nibbled yep. on those a little bit during the break. Those are fantastic. We thought it'd be interesting to talk about the emerging world of snacking. The way America snacks has really changed over the years, and particularly over the last maybe five to ten. So, you know, I'm looking at something we did uh, on a project. Uh, our wizard, Linda Bowen, your favorite person at the Touch Agency, Jesslyn. We're, we're BFFs. Yes. <laughs> and she created this snacking sort of history of America. And it's so cool visually. We'll try and put it up on, uh, since uh, she created it, I think we can put it up on um, our social media sites. But 1960s was all about sort of snacks as treats. 70s, you begin to more the convenience blend plus the low calorie 80s began the low fat, 90s low carb, but then also the birth of kind of protein as a driver and snacking. You get into 2000 to maybe 2010, and you start to see the the uh, launch of a lot of the portion control stuff, all the hundred calorie packs. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of it is sort of a bit about eating less of something or things that are less bad for you. We put less of this in there, right? And it's been interesting to watch over the last few years that sort of the consumer and the industry that we're in moving over this hilltop and this tipping point where all of a sudden now it's about trying to be more functional, putting things that are actually good for you, what we call it snacking with a purpose, mm-hmm. right? So it's been fun to watch that. And speaking of snacking with a purpose, American consumers, now 94% of Americans say they snack daily. In fact, about half of America now eats most of their meals kind of grazing, so they'll eat littler meals, but more frequently during the day. I'm more weirded out by the 6% who aren't snacking. Yeah, who are those, like, kind either weirdos. wildly interesting or awful people? I don't know what that I'm would be. I'm starting to snack, like, way less. I'm not kidding. I may be one of those Get people. Out. Well, you're not down to the <laughs> I mean, I'd snack once a day, but normally Okay, but then you'd still be in the 94%. You probably have three big meals. Then. That's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Oh, yeah. 
So then last little fact to consider that what's interesting is, you know, 64% of Americans are looking to increase protein in their diet. So Mm -hmm. they're getting more functional. But then 28% of those are even looking for more plant-based proteins. You would take that even further down to sort of the millennial group. And now it's somewhere around uh, 37, 40%, 40% are looking for more plant-based kind of healthy snacking. So we thought today we'd have an interesting guest. We, we dialed up our friend. He's like an industry, innovative, creative guy. He's been on some great brands, some very successful brands. His name is James Moss, and James is joining us by phone. James, welcome to the Natural Underground. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad to uh, be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and James has the coolest accent, uh, uh, probably among the coolest that we've interviewed. So he could just say anything, and it sounds believable. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe by now, usually Jesslyn will start impersonating yeah, or joining I'm trying, in. I'm what, trying to narrow accent. it down. Yeah, it's what's real the job? Where, where in the world does that accent uh, originate, James? Oh, I'm, it's, I get many, many guesses. People always think Australia, New Zealand. I'm actually South African. So, uh, oh, South very African. cool. South African. Mm. Oh, she's got it. She's That's already a unique accent. So, Jesslyn's a thespian <laughs> and an actress, so she can pick up those. And you've probably studied it. Did you study? Uh, uh, in, I did uh, have to take a uh, so she was already class. She got on your South African thing pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick up some slang here in a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, James, what are you know from your perspective? What are consumers looking for today when they snack, and what what do you see changing? Yeah, it's a really innovative category right now. I think that the conversation is certainly pertinent around this time. And Al, you hit the nail on the head. Folks are not sitting down for meals anymore. I wish they were. Um, you know, maybe towards the end of the day, some families are fortunate enough to have a meal together. But yep. the portion control and the convenience of snacking and, and the sort of Western lifestyle of just being busy and eating at your desk is really on the rise. And we've probably all got a a snack or meal, supplement or beverage in your backpack or on your desk right now. What we're seeing, we get a lot of input from consumers and retailers, and the trends are definitely portion control. Everybody's looking for, you know, that 100-calorie snack. Um, along with that, it's got to be great tasting. Nobody wants to eat their cardboard anymore and, and drink, drink really sort of plain waters and, and uh, artificially uh, heightened sugars, etc. But the great tasting piece, and then functional. I mean, if people are limiting themselves and their calorie intake throughout the day, or at least trying to watch that, they want to have some functional aspect with it as well. So, decadent dessert, um, functional aspect to it, portion control. Consumers really want to have everything in their snack at the moment. Um, the, the key thing outside of the actual product and the taste and the attributes of it is a lot of transparency around clean labels and ingredients. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, when that used to be more held accountable for your larger meals, and I'm, I'm putting down five, six, seven, eight hundred calories here for lunch, what's in it? Now consumers are far more sensitive to what are they putting into their snacks and realizing that cumulatively throughout the day, the snacks make up, you know, a large amount of what they're consuming. But as manufacturers, we're being charged and focusing tremendously around clean labels and the ingredients. Um, and along that side with packaging is transportability. You know, snacks on the go and snacks on the run are different than the snacks that you have if you take in your, your backpack and put in your desk. But it cannot be mushy. It's got to be somewhat temperature sensitive to keep its consistency rather than open up your snack and it's all melted onto the side of the packaging. So, you know, those are things that some folks with tremendous brands, they don't focus on. They look at the ingredients and they look at 
at dairy-free and, and soy-free, etc., but they're not focusing as much as they should be on the packaging and the convenience aspect of it for the consumer at the same time. Well, you said a couple of interesting things there. First and foremost, and it can't be understated, man, part of this evolution is that it still has to taste great. You know, we, I can remember a day in this sort of better-for-you natural food and beverage industry where it, it, they didn't always taste great. You know, people sort of cleared the first hurdle on ingredients, felt good about what was in it, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't the creativity, the experience, the, the innovation, the development, the, the introduction, you know, bringing chefs in or people who are foodies to kind of make sure it also tastes great. That has really changed over the years. If, if we happen to have any listeners, particularly maybe outside of our industry and listening on the radio, if you haven't, if you're thinking of your grandfather's natural food snacks, man, go back into a store and try it because it is very different. Got to have taste. Love that you said that. What do you see that is kind of a, a give me some examples of sort of cool next generation or hot emerging snack brands that you see out in the market? Yeah, without going into the brands just yet, the product categories are really evolving quickly. And, and you know, consumers are driving it, retailers are being re- reactive in terms of trying to catch up. There's a, there's a lot of focus around plant-based. Anything that's plant-based that is sustainable in that regard seems to be very heightened where folks are looking for that. Dairy-free and gluten-free, still quite hot, but it's really being replaced with grain-free. Yep. So we talk about taste again. You know, your grandfather's snacks used to be very grain-based. Um, and now grain-free seems to be far more of a hot topic and a hot aspect for consumers than the gluten-free and the dairy-free. Um, th- those are important. And then you get, you know, if you think about snacking, you think about kids, uh, tree and peanut allergies, and the risks around that of snacking, specifically when kids are sharing snacks, it's something that's definitely on uh, everybody's radar screen at the moment. There's a great brand out there called Skeeter's Snacks um, that focuses on uh, tree and peanut allergies and addressing that. It's basically a cracker that doesn't have any of those those allergies in there. So wow. friendly for kids to take to school, friendly for kids to have to the pantry. I mean, gosh, my wife, we have kids over in the house all the time. You never know if you're handing a kid something with an allergy. Oh, it's you're, um, you're right on. You don't want, and honestly, you don't want to do any harm, and you also just don't want that responsibility. And if you can have those options that you know are kind of allergen friendly or allergen free, or free yeah. from, uh, how great is that? You also mentioned grain free. Man, we profiled last week on a show that I don't think we've put out yet. Uh, a brand based here in Austin called Siete, and it's just a it's a it's a, a grain free tortilla chip, but it tastes like legit great tortilla chip. You see it in granola. You see that evolution on grain-free going on everywhere. It's spectacular. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah that, those trends, you know, you mentioned the liability aspect, and I agree with you 100% uh, and, and being concerned about that. But those trends, you know, factor into many aspects, both from healthy living lifestyle as well as folks that are on the other end of the spectrum that potentially have allergies. So love to hear that there's brands out there that are addressing that proactively. And, you know, on the beverage side, uh, and, and I, I really think we'll talk about it you know, a little bit in a bit, I'm sure, but beverages are, make up a large part of snacking. Um, and Good Belly, a, a functional probiotic juice out of uh, Boulder, Colorado, you know, hits many cylinders um, and it hits them on the head very well. It's a, a portion control, functional snack that you drink. And it's well, you know, it is refrigerated, 
they've got uh, a, a good aspect and a good offering in terms of being able to have different day parts. But we're seeing more and more where these brands are taking their core business, where Good Belly, as an example, was a juice. Folks, some folks are susceptible to the sugar content of juice, and then coming up more with sparklings and protein water-based probiotics uh, to meet those needs. And then that hits the hits the nail on the head in regards to meeting the consumer needs of having a, a good tasting, portion control, functional snack. Oh, this is so great. Yeah. We only have about a minute left in this segment. Surprise, it's going too quick because you're too interesting. Jessalyn, I think, had a quick question. <laughs> yeah, so we were just talking about sort of the trends in the actual snacks, but can you talk to anything that you've seen the actual retailers, how they're building out the healthy snacking sections of their store? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, retailers really perceive refrigerated as being fresh. And when they try and focus on that snacking part, they're going for fresh. So if you look at Target right now, some of the super targets, specifically up in the, in the Midwest, you walk in, they've got a very large set uh, as you walk in the grab-and-go piece. The, the expansion of deli in the retail and grab-and-go, which are typically two different sections of the store, relatively close to each other, but still two different geographical areas of the store, has really expanded. So retailers are embracing that. They're treating it as a destination category, um, knowing that folks are coming in there looking for a snack in that regard. You know, at the same time, you look at the bar aisle, and I'll give you the example of Target again. Target's got 42 feet of snacking bars in their super targets. That's a lot of snacks. They're focusing on folks that are coming in to look for fresh refrigerated and then going center store and coming across the snacks uh, during their regular big shop at the same time. We, we find that folks that buy snacks typically have about 23% higher basket ring than folks that are not buying fresh snacks. Oh, and so, that affects the overall you know, profitability for that retailer, all kinds of other things. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, retailers are honest, um, and, and definitely this is an area knowing how consumers enjoy snacks and changing their day park, you know, consumption of women and how they eat food. Retailers are all over this and for looking for innovation from brands. So for the brand that, that Al mentioned in, um, in Austin to a couple that I've mentioned, going in and talking to these retailers in a consultative, fact-based way around snacking, they are an absolute sponge of what gives the retailer a, um, a, a you know, point of differentiation, a competitive advantage around snacking because folks are coming in looking for snacks. James, this has been so fun, so informative. We hope to have you back every time we talk about industry trends in the future. <laughs> if anybody wants to send you a question, you have a, an email that you're okay giving out uh, on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Side? My personal email is probably the easiest. It's jamesmoss1969 at gmail.com. That sounds great. James, thank you, man. This has been great. Enjoy we'll have you, you on soon. Love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Cool. Okay. Our final break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the world of package design and branding. We're going to have a creative wizard in the studio with us. You guys are going to dig this. Lots of questions for him. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Natural Underground. Watching the moon catching fire in your eyes. Or I can drop you a line. for the crazy peacefulness. You wouldn't think it'd be so Welcome back to the Natural Underground. 
I'm your host, Al Springer. You're still the host. I just you like, were earlier I and just you like still are. I just like saying that. <laughs> yeah. Look, at the Touch Agency and at our new brand, Incubator, we get asked all the time about packaging design, about branding. So you might be a listener who is kind of right in the middle of planning a new product launch and having questions. Maybe you've got that big cookie cookie idea that you've been kicking around in your noggin for years and this is it. Uh, maybe you manage a brand that needs a refresh, a new look. Uh, it's stalled a little bit. Um, the numbers aren't where you want them to be. And so if you have a business idea, but the idea of doing package design or going to uh, kind of engage a, a professional graphic designer intimidates you, uh, we're hoping that we can put your mind at ease and understand that process a little bit and get some of your questions uh, answer. So join us in the studio today live as opposed to by phone where we've kind of been all uh, phony today. Not mm-hmm. phony. Phone, <laughs> that doesn't sound hmm. Phone heavy. We've been phone mm-hmm. heavy. We're always phony. But uh, <laughs> my wife tells me I have the sincere look of a car dealer. So I don't know <laughs> if that's, go. uh, that's a good or bad thing. But uh, yeah, by phone, not phony. That's yeah, true love. But join us in the studio today is Wes Woodell. He's a designer with a ton of experience in designing better for you brands. Some of my favorites. Uh, we've known Wes for a long time, so Wes, uh, welcome to the Natural Underground. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, so you know, tell us some just for our listeners. Tell us, uh, give us some examples of some interesting brands that you've worked on over over the years. Okay, um, so I do a lot of stuff in the spirit industry. Yeah, um, so hence the cool tequila. <laughs> I've got spirit. Yeah, yeah yes, you do. <laughs> right. uh, it's a it's a fun space to work in. Oh sure. man, it has perks. Do you sample a lot? Oh yeah. I can't comment on. Give us a cool. I sample a lot too, but I don't really work in that. Yeah, he has no (laughs) professional reason to do it, but he's sampling all the time. Give us like a cool spirit brand you worked on. Yeah, so uh, probably the most well known is Deep Eddie Vodka. Oh yeah, Um, I know a thing or two about that. Yes, the grapefruit (laughs) when they or kind of early on grapefruit, I think was one of their earlier flavors. Yep, people would always like comment to me because we've known those guys for a while. You didn't know really you were drinking so much because it was so tasty. And then they suddenly kind of hit you. Yeah. Yeah. So Good very cool. So did you help them with the original label or how did that work? Yeah. So the original uh, design, um, I helped out with, I was kind of playing a supporting role with another designer. And then when they did a rebrand of the packaging, uh, I handled all that myself. Awesome. Very cool. So as you approach these pro- projects, kind of what's your design philosophy? How do you start something like that? Do, do people give you kind of the general idea what they want to have happen and do you put it into some process that's unique to you? What does that look like? Yeah, um, so a few things. Um, I'd say from an objective standpoint, it's kind of twofold. Um, I want to take a strategic look at the space and the category itself, uh, particularly the shelf space, see what everyone else is doing. What the landscape looks exactly, like. Exactly, right? yeah. Right. Um, where are there opportunities to stand out, that sort of thing. And then at the same time, I want to like embody through the aesthetics and the design what the uh, the unique qualities of that product or the company culture is, um, and really visually tell that story. Do you have little exercises to do that? How do you draw it out of them? Because I would think, if I'm I'm imagine as a designer, part of the challenge is folks have all this passion. It's their baby. They want. They've been thinking about this thing for a while. But how do you get them to draw out what they really want out of it, or what? Or and then how does that work? Yeah, definitely a good question. Um, so that's the challenge with any kind of creative work, right? Um, it's subjective. So how do you help someone understand what they like or what they're getting at when it's such a subjective thing? Right. Um, so in my process, I'll actually um, show multiple concepts um, to the client. And I don't even 
design those concepts the way I see they, they should like end up in the, in the final sort of design, I'll actually tailor that first round of concepts to help facilitate conversation. So more what they were thinking, you try and reflect back to them, but then what, show them the gaps or say, that way they sort of start to pick uh, pick one that they gravitate to more? Uh, Yeah, but uh, I'll present to them in person and that's really important for my process because I can actually see their reaction and from there start to draw out, okay, like this is what they were really interested in. These are the aspects that they're really wanting to like communicate to the consumer and I can see that visually as I see their response to the designs versus before you have something visual to look at, um, it's it's someone who might not have any idea of uh, what looks good or aesthetic or design and they're just trying to come up with words and they can't really come up with those words. Yep. Um, but having having a visual you know, concept right there in front of them helps to... And watching them react to exactly. it. Exactly. That's very cool. Yeah. So let's contrast for a moment. So if a brand is brand new, like like a completely new launch, right? What sorts of things should an entrepreneur think about? You know, in other words, what do you need from them if they're thinking about engaging, our listeners are thinking about engaging a designer, what do you need from them to get that process started? What helps you? Yeah, um, having a good understanding of your product is always helpful, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, <so, laughs> I can imagine. Yep, um, and specifically like what is unique about their product um, I mean, that's, that's one thing I always want to make sure. Man. Yeah, ex- point of difference. exactly. Like if you're going to put another Coca-Cola on the shelf, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of success. Right. Yeah. Um, so if they have a really good understanding of those things, um, that helps me to, to know what the objectives are and, and how to help, uh, communicate those things in a visual way to the consumer. All that, when we start projects, we're always on any kind of marketing messaging, communication, we always start with positioning work. Like, okay, who's that target consumer? How do you define yourself? Which will tell us where in the set or on the shelf it should go, if it's a food item or a beverage. And then to your point, lastly, and maybe most important, what is your point of difference? Because you said it, man, in our industry, whatever we see that's popular one year, the whole next 12 months is just tens of duplications, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody comes out and just launches the same thing. So very interesting. So that's if you're working with like a brand new uh, product. What, on the contrary, if a brand just feels like they need a refresh, how is that process different? Yeah. Um, so I think one, it really depends specifically on that on that brand and that mm-hmm. product. Um, if the client has a product and they're in two stores that are local and they haven't been in there very long, then and they're looking at national distribution as a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, then, hey, we can ditch a lot of stuff um, and start kind of fresh over. Right. Um, but if they have a product that they have pretty good distribution on it, um, then it's important to think through, okay, how are we going to visually connect? Because we don't want to lose consumers that they already have. Right. Hard-earned consumers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we also don't want to stay stagnant and um, lose the, the shelf appeal and kind of keep, keep persisting in the same things that aren't working strong enough on the shelf. And how do you interact with a brand if they just maybe can't make up their mind? Or even maybe if they want to move in a direction that you think is just like, this color's really not going to look well on a bo- look good on a bottle or that font, you just can't read it. Like, how do you navigate those relationships? Yeah. Um, so one is just kind of setting expectations on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's kind of two two sort of 
challenges you can run into there. One is the, the client just doesn't even know who they are. Right. So that that identity piece, what makes them different, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. helping them get a better understanding of that is important. Mm -hmm. Um, And then two, the I'd say the more challenging issue is if you have um, a client that has multiple cooks in the the kitchen, so to speak. Oh, okay. Um, And so and they all want different things. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's always fun. Uh, but setting those expectations on the front end of, okay, who's going to be kind of the deciding factor if you guys are disagreeing on, on those sorts of things. Um, and then from my process, just helping them gain an objective understanding to a lot of the subjective kind of aesthetic creative decisions I'm making. Um, so if, uh, if we're deciding between two colors, for instance, um, kind of overall trade dress of the, of the package on the, on the shelf, um, and every single, say one of the colors is, it's white, for instance, mm-hmm. um, even though it's not a color, right? But uh, right, right. Um, if every other package in that, sh- in that shelf space is white, then you probably don't want to roll out with a white package because you're just going to blend in with everybody, right? So this is mm-hmm. a, like a really simple example of, hey, like objectively speaking, you shouldn't do this because it has, there's right. reasons why we've made this decision versus, hey, I think this looks good and you think this other thing looks good. Now we're just going to butt heads the whole time. Wow. So you just gave us two nuggets there. One is making sure that that we push back a little bit on the brand saying we got to organize your thoughts, right? Point of difference, all the, th- all the things we talked about, but then also kind of ultimately help them figure out that they need to have one point of final decision making and direction. Because I can imagine it's just incredibly frustrating for somebody like you to have one part of that party telling you, giving you one direction, somebody else giving you another, and now you're stuck in between two folks who don't have the same vision or three or whatever that group might be. And we're seeing more and more brands where there's a collection of of people that are involved in a launch, Mm -hmm. and they're all sometimes equals. Yep. So interesting challenge. And then the second thing you said is just bringing it back to bear on the real world of what's going to look good on the shelf, the lighting the competitive landscape, all those things. Quite interesting. Can you think of any examples of brands you're seeing on the shelf these days that are really catching your eye that you think, wow, those people are doing an awesome job? Uh, yeah. So um, one that comes to mind is Epic Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, beautiful think, packaging. Yeah, I think they did a great job of really telling the story and, and calling attention to those things that are unique about their product that set them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that really comes through in, in the in the packaging. Um, another one that comes to mind is Austin Beer Works. Um, I like them a lot. Yeah, as a local product. So I actually think they did a great job of understanding the space and the category. Um, that's one of the most cluttered shelf spaces you can walk into because there's so many microbreweries now that are coming out. And all of them have very unique packages. Yeah, for great packages. Yeah. There's no you're – not, you're not zigging with It's a high level of zags. competition. Yeah, right exactly. You're not just zigging with everybody else's zags. You're not to your white comment – it's hard to stand out in that world, but they've done it. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really helped them succeed in the shelf space, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, having a con- like a, a consistency between each one of their beers. And so right. they're actually all kind of um, – you see one one Austin Beer Works beer, and you know it's an Austin Beer Works and beer. And all that right? solid color from the top two-thirds. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even the, uh, <clears throat> even the, the name itself – Mm-hmm. Um, was a good decision on their part for the category because so much of sales in that space are driven even by, hey, like, you know, I want to buy the local microbrewery. Right. So playing off the local aspect and then also driving consumers not only to their product on the shelf, but driving consumers 
back to the brewery itself um, right where you have cells there so this is so good man we're, we're already out of time but if it's all right with you we'd love to have you kind of be the designer we bring in whenever people have questions or issues things like that we can always call you or or talk into coming into the studio but this has been really helpful it's interesting to hear kind of what you, what what you go through when you're kind of working with brands and the, some of the things that they, it can make the process easier mm-hmm. so thank you if folks want to get a hold of you and want to talk, uh, is there a good email address uh, that you're willing to put out there and comfortable putting out? Yeah, definitely. Um, Wes at Woodell, that's W-O-O-D-D-E-L-L, design.com. So Woodell, design.com. Yep. Perfect. Thanks, Wes. Yeah. This is great. All right. Well, that was this week's show. Thank you for listening to The Natural Underground. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, compliments for anyone in particular, <laughs> you can email us at info at newbranduniversity.com. And we would love if you followed us on Facebook at The Natural Underground. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Absolutely. Thank you. you got to see me smile.